We're going to be in Ephesians this week and next week. And I told you last week that the last time we were in Ephesians, it took us a whole year to go through the book, and now we're going to do it in two weeks. Last time I was in Ephesians, uh, the God, God spoke really clearly to my heart, and it's the only time I've worn a suit in this building outside of a wedding or a funeral, because God wanted me to have it, and I wanted to give you that visual that we were going to go through it like a fine dining meal and really pick it apart piece by piece. Today is radically different. Um, there is a lot of benefit in doing in-depth Bible study, picking apart doctrine, picking apart words, doing a word study on the word grace and, and all the different subject matters is extremely helpful. And it's good for us to do those things in this room. It's also healthy for us to sit in the text in big chunks because it helps us see overall themes, overall pictures. So as we've been traveling through the book of Acts, my heart has been, as, as we're teaching verse by verse through Acts, that we're pausing in each one of the communities that Paul lands in or that Peter had landed in and looking at their letters back to these communities. So last week, we finished Paul leaving the community of Ephesus, which he was there for a couple of years. We're told later on in chapter 20 of the book of Acts that Paul says that he was teaching the gospel publicly, that he was teaching the gospel privately from house to house. He had a lot of in-depth relationships with his community, and there was a lot of conflict. Remember this riot. The gospel had so much impact in Ephesus and in the surrounding area of western Turkey. This is the Roman province of Asia, that their economy was collapsing. And the reason for the riot was because their economy was collapsing. And may God bring about that kind of revival in our culture. Amen? Where, again, it's, it's him ruling our hearts, and as he rules our hearts, that that'll be the radical change in our culture. So, when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians... Um, his last interaction with the elders in Ephesians is in Acts chapter 20. We'll eventually get there in a few months. Um, but in that, he knows that uh, suffering, he knows that tribulations are coming to him when he goes to Jerusalem. So the Ephesian church knows that when he leaves their presence that he's going to be stepping into hardship in his life. So as Paul is writing this letter, that hardship is he's sitting in the reality of it. Paul is in jail. So whether he's in Caesarea or he's in Rome at this time that he's writing this letter back to the Ephesian church, Paul's life does not look pretty. You know, we have to get outside of our cultural context of what a prison looks like, of what a jail looks like, um, and try and attempt to visualize what his daily life looked like. We're going to sit in two powerful prayers of Paul this morning as he's writing and communicating his heart and the gospel's heart, Jesus' heart, to this church. And you can tell that Paul is spending a lot of time talking to God because his prayers are rich and they're full. They're filled with revelation, they're filled with prophecy, they're filled with encouragement, really, really powerful prayers. Well, I told you that uh, as we go through Ephesians in the next two weeks, that we're using grace and gratitude as the two words to kind of outline its content. And the reason why is the first three chapters, they really focus on doctrinal issues. And doctrine can be a heavy word. All it means is teaching. 
The last three chapters focus on our response, which is often said doctrine and duty. So you have two words that have, you know, start with a D, D and it's easy to remember. But doctrine and duty sound really hard and it's kind of a contrast. It kind of grates against the hearts of what we're sitting in as we read it this morning. It really is grace and gratitude. Here's the exposure of God. Grace is who God is. The the word that uh, in that study that we just watched, it's lifted out of Exodus 34, where Moses is crying out to God, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And these words, that word, that word gracious that we just looked at, that's not the word of Moses. That is the word that came out of God's mouth as he described himself. So as we sit in these first three chapters of Ephesians this morning, this word grace, we're not, we're not looking at a doctrine. We're looking at the nature, the character, the attribute, the heart, the activity of God who created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to get back to that idea in a minute. First few verses, and this is what we're going to do. If you just read Ephesians, it would take you 20 minutes to read it out loud. The chapters that we're going to read this morning, it would take us 10 minutes. If I just read through everything, I've been listening to this section a lot, just in audio, your brain wanders, right? You lock into a word, you lock into a sentence, and your brain goes out over here. And by the time you get back to where the reader is, you know, it's where are you and what have you just said? So what I'm going to do this morning, this isn't heavy teaching, this isn't heavy application. The focus of what I'm trying to do this morning, and as we end up doing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and as we go through Revelation, is I'm going to amplify. There's going to be a little bit of teaching, but it's going to be light, but we're going to spend the next 40 minutes as we go through this passage, and I'm just going to amplify God's heart. I'm going to amplify God's character, and then next week when we get into the last three chapters, we're sitting in our response, and our response to God's nature and his character is to be just a heart of gratitude. God, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have life. I'm so grateful to be saved. I'm so grateful to know that I will not abide in death and separation from you. I'm so grateful for the wife that I have. I'm so grateful for the children that I have. I'm so grateful for the community of Christ that he's allowed me to follow him with, whether it's here in Salt Lake. It's, it's, been, it's been an awesome journey. So much gratitude, not because of who I am, but again, just God in his, in his character of grace. All right, first couple of verses here, and then we'll pick up the speed. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to take for granted um, what your relationship with God looks like. As we go through this section this morning, there's a lot of weight upon the doctrine, the truth, the teaching that God is sovereign. Paul is comfortable with saying, I am who I am, and the position that I have in Jesus Christ is according to God's will, his plan for my life. Like I said, I don't want to take for granted that you have the same heart and the same position in your knowledge and your comfort with who God is that Paul has. And this is what I want to convey to you. Like, this ought to be a very safe place for you to ask questions. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. 
and you have his nature, his character, his sovereignty over your life. You have that down pat, and there's no issues. Some of you are a lot younger in the Lord. There's a lot of teens in here. And your faith is based upon what your parents have taught you. Your faith is based upon what um, you've heard in church and those kinds of things growing up. I'm thinking of my own teenage sons that are in here. Their faith is no longer just mom and dad's faith. They have their own relationship with the Lord. But at the same time, they haven't sat in the questions that I've sat in. They haven't had to go through those life experiences yet. And this ought to be a place that when we talk about the nature and character of God and we provide these definitions, Paul's going to provide a lot of definitions that I'm not going to sit in the teaching of those things this morning. But write those things down if you have a question. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of being challenged by you. The word of God is not afraid of being challenged by you. If you have questions, let's ask them. Let's discuss these things. Some things we're going to have to say... I don't know, but I believe that God is gracious. And that's this letter, again, the will of God dominates everything here. And then it's being communicated to people who are positionally, they're saints, they're holy ones. And their relationship, again, they have the whole spectrum of life just like we do. They're defined as faithful in who? In Christ Jesus. Jesus. As we go through the rest of the content this morning, that phrase, you are in Jesus. Yes, he is in us through faith, but the reality that we are positionally in the being who created the heavens and the earth. This is what Paul repeatedly emphasizes as he is writing to the Ephesians. And then these two words, grace and peace, usually it's said that these are just the basic Greek and Jewish introductory terms, uh, peace being shalom. But as we go through this text this morning, again, Paul, Paul is going to communicate God's grace in an abundant manner. He's going to communicate the peace that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and not just with him, but with one another. He's going to communicate. There's going to be emphasis upon it. The other two words that we'll see this morning and next week are the idea of oneness and unity and the idea of we are new, okay? So now that we have all of that as my long-witted introduction, we are going to pick up the pace, and I'm really just going to amplify things as we read. And listen to these majestic words here through verse 14. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And when we talk about heaven, this this is the spiritual reality. Just as... He, the Father, chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Before God created, he chose us. For what purpose? That we should be holy. That is an attribute of God. We should be without blame, an attribute of God, before him, in his presence, in what? In love. He has predestined us 
to adoption as sons. Hold on to that word adoption because we are not naturally the children of God. We have been adopted. How? By Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. God's will is always good. To the praise of the glory, the weight, the heaviness of his grace, by which it is because of his grace, through his grace, by his grace, he has made us accepted in the beloved. We spend a lot of our lives seeking to be accepted by our peers. And it's because of his grace, by his grace, that he has made the Father. God is, um, has made us accepted in Jesus, who is identified as the beloved. In him, we have redemption, which to redeem something means that it has been purchased. How were we purchased? Through his blood. That was the cost. Through that action, we have the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches, the wealth, the abundance of his grace, which he made to abound towards us all, uh, towards us in all wisdom and prudence, He's made known to us the mystery of his will, something that was hidden that's now been revealed according to, the good, to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. This has always been his plan A, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance, that's which, that which is his, is being given to us. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in that application... He is working all things according to the counsel of his will in your life and throughout this world. That we, we, uh, if you're taking notes, that is in reference to the Jews. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you, you is in reference to the Gentiles. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are already redeemed and purchased, there is coming a future fulfillment of that in all of its fullness. In the meantime, we are in the Father, we are in the Son, we are in the Holy Spirit, and He is in us. And when you go and you sit in all the depth 
of what has just been declared and what has been revealed. It takes us all to prayer, and that's what Paul does here in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and this isn't like I just heard about your faith for the first time. It's Paul has had news and how this community is doing in their relationship with Jesus. After I heard about what's going on, current news in your relationship with Jesus, and not only that, your love for all the saints, your relationship with your fellow believers. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Grateful for God's grace. Making mention of you in my prayers. And again, I want you to, I want you to sit in the reality of Paul's context as he's writing these words. This man is left alone often, praying often. That the God, here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, and the knowledge of him. One of the home fellowships is uh, doing Tozer's book called The Knowledge of the Holy. It comes out of Proverbs, which the knowledge of the holy is the beginning of wisdom. You sit in the content of Paul's prayer here, and at the end of chapter 3, he is praying for our knowledge and our wisdom and our understanding, the revelation of who he is. So, praying to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, verse 18. The effect of that is the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. When you're in that position, you've been given wisdom, you've been given revelation, purpose that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Fascinating. He's given us an inheritance. All that is his, he is granting to us. What does he get in return? He considers his inheritance, you and I. (laughs) What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. What a powerful statement. What kind of power are we talking about? It's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that, in that age which is to come. Look at that statement again. Back up to verse 19. This declaration in regards to the exceeding greatness of his power, of his ability towards us who believe, we trust, we have hope, we have confidence in him. It is in relation to, it is the exact same power that resurrected Jesus's dead body from the grave. It is the exact same power that caused him to ascend and to return back to where he always was eternally in oneness with the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and all of that imagery, and we're not talking about a physical place, This is in the heaven of heavens, the spiritual 
place, the spiritual reality where God has always existed. And that location is far above in exaltation, in height. As we're sitting here talking about worldly governments or authorities in your life, they are nothing in comparison to his authority. And here he's talking about all other spiritual powers, principalities, powers, mights, dominions, every other name. His is higher today, right now, and for all eternity. He, the Father, has put all things under his feet. He gave him, he has given Jesus to be head over all things to the church, to this assembly. The church being defined as his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Not only are we in him, he is in us. And you, again, talking to Gentiles, and when we talk about Gentiles, this is all non-Jews. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, red, yellow, black, and white. It doesn't matter your economic class, whether you are wealthy or whether you are poor. It doesn't matter your educational background, whether you're a PhD or you didn't even graduate from high school. The you here is y'all. Again, the community in Ephesus is just as diverse as the community that's in this room right now. We have all different kinds of backgrounds. Now, before I continue on in this statement, I want you to own the words as your own that Paul is communicating. Because these are painful words. These are, these are words that you don't understand. You don't know God in depth if you do not know and own these next words. You, he made alive. You were dead. Not physically. Spiritually dead. No life. In what? In trespasses. This is violating essentially the nature and character of God because the commands that he hands down, he sets up the fences, he sets up the borders, and we, we cross over those things. It's a trespass. And sins, missing the mark, missing the ideal, missing perfection. Every single one of us were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, again, as you need to own this, just like I need to own this, we all have different backgrounds and what, you know, that path that we walked in, the depth of it, how much it imaged the world and didn't image the Lord. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spiritual authority that is over this entire world. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Paul owns that statement. We need to own that statement. Be, prior to becoming a child of God, we were a child of disobedience. And the lusts and the desires of our own flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 
Think of whatever character of an individual you want to think of that you believe deserves the eternal wrath of God and understand and know that you and me were subject to that same wrath. And here's the great contrast in verse 4. But God, look at this declaration of him. He is rich in mercy, compassion, because of his great love, which, which, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, even when you were disobedient, even when you were the object of God's love, because of his, or sorry, the object of God's wrath, you were still the object of his mercy and his love. You were dead in trespasses. He has made us alive together with Christ. So the power that he is talking about that is working in us, the same description that was given about Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' ascension, Paul is relating that to us positionally in Christ. We have been made alive together with Jesus. By grace, you have been saved, you've been rescued, you've been delivered. He has raised us up together. He has made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not just in the future, but right now today, positionally through faith in Jesus Christ, you are in him where he is. How's that for grace? And that in the ages, not just the singular, but think about eternity, in the ages to come, whatever that looks like, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Heaven will not be boring. And for all of eternity, he is going to be displaying the exceeding riches of his grace, the exceeding riches of his kindness towards us. It's displayed in his son. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith, it's not of yourself. It is a gift. It is a caress of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And here's where... I picked up our title for our study in Acts. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is why you exist, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, in light of all this, remember that you, Gentiles, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ. Look at this description. You were aliens, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. 
and strangers from the covenants of promise, the covenant that God gave to, uh, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Jeremiah. These things we were strangers from, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who once were far off, you've been brought near how? By the sacrifice, by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. And who has made both Jews and Gentiles one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Not only peace with himself, but peace in humanity. In him, there's a oneness, there's a newness, and he himself is peace personified. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God, to his Father, in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came... We talk about Advent. Why was he born as a man? He came to us and he preached peace. And he has sent to us apostles, prophets, teachers. Who has he sent into your life to preach peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near? It is through him that we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You do not need the church. You do not need a priest or a pastor. You do not need a work. You do not need an object. We have the Holy Spirit by which we have access to the Father through the body, blood, sacrifice, and life of his Son. Verse 19, now therefore, you're no longer an outsider. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. But you were fellow citizens with the saints. And you were members of the household of God. Talk about his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Here the imagery is as a household, as a building, as a home. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Is that Old Testament prophets or New Testament prophets? Yes. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together 
for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. How are you feeling about that word grace as we read through all this? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And think of the reality of that statement. When Paul is in Jerusalem and they're accusing Paul of bringing Gentiles into, into the courts in the temple... Paul gets their attention as he gets up on the steps and he starts speaking in Hebrew. They start listening to him. They listen to his words until he mentions this word Gentile. The reason Paul was arrested is because of his relationship with the the Gentiles. The reason Paul was arrested is because he went to other cultures outside of Israel and preached to them who God is. And for that, he was rejected and arrested. So when he says, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, so then the weight and the reality of that statement. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, the stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Here's the will of God in Paul's life. Here's the gift of grace that was given to Paul. It wasn't given to Paul for himself, but for the benefit of others. Verse 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And you have this little parenthetical statement, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So everything that we have just read in the first couple of chapters, do you get an overwhelming sense of Paul's wisdom? Do you get an overwhelming sense of what it is that God has revealed to him through the Holy Spirit and his knowledge into this mystery, something that was hidden and now has been revealed and made manifest through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul is saying, that when you read this information, that you should have an understanding of his relationship with God and his understanding and knowledge. And not just his, he is, his whole life is, has the emphasis that you would know the Lord just as he does. Verse 5 says, "...which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets." That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul knows that he is who he is, and all that he is is because of the grace of God. And look at his self-assessment in verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul... I personally hold as a hero 
as a giant saint. Thirteen of his letters to different congregations, to different individuals we have in what we call the Word of God that we study, that through the revelation that was given to him, I know my Lord. I'm exposed to him. I'm encouraged. I sit in this information. I believe in this information. And Paul says his self-assessment that he was the least. He was less than the least of all the saints. I think that's the same heart that David had. But when God makes a covenant with David, David's response to God is, who am I? Paul's response to God, I'm less than the least. I really think that that's a statement that each of us should own. Who am I, Lord? I'm less than the least of all the saints. Yet, this grace is given. You've given to us your grace, Lord. For Paul, it was that he should preach among the Gentiles. Look at this. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of stewardship, the participation of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Christ, is God, through which all that was created was created. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, look at this, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. As Jesus images himself through you, it's not just to human beings, but it's to this spiritual population also. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart of my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And Paul, again, he's encouraging them. His last interaction with the Ephesian elders, as he is walking away from them, they are weeping because they know what is coming his way. And here he is encouraging them not to lose heart at his tribulations and all their variety that he is enduring on their behalf for their benefit because this is what the Lord has handed to him. And as we saw in 2 Corinthians Paul was able to declare, Jesus, your grace is sufficient. And here where we end so many of our services in this incredible prayer, 
Now we sit in the depth of the reason for this reason. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is our identity. That he would grant you, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Look what he's saying. He wants you to be strong through the power of the Holy Spirit in the core of who you are. That Jesus would dwell in here, in your hearts, in the core of who you are, in all of your thoughts, in all of your fears, in all of your secrecy, in that, in that, that person who you are, that Jesus would be in there through faith. And as we have the image of a building before, now it's the image of a plant that you would be rooted. Those roots would go deep down into nutrient soil that you would be watered, that you would be grounded in what? Love. That you would have the ability to comprehend, to understand, to be able to meditate on, to be able to apply in your own life, that you would be able to comprehend, not just individually, but with all the body of Christ, with all the saints. Look at this four-dimensional description, the width and length and depth and height. She would know and that you would experience the love of Christ, which really does pass knowledge. that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What is it that God is? He is asking for you to be filled with that. How is that even possible? Well, to him, he is able to do, he has the power to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we would ask or even think, according to the power that is at work in us now. The power of the resurrection, the power of the ascension, the power of creation. And it's not just a force. That description is the person of God, the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church, the weight, the emphasis, the focus, the splendor, the majesty. To him be glory in the church, in the assembly, by his son, Christ Jesus, to all generations. For the last 2,000 years of generations have been reading this and trusting in this and hoping in this and praying this. And not just the last 2,000 years, but into the future forever and ever. Amen.
Totally different tone when you read it in a big chunk. Totally different tone when you let it be amplified. So, Lord, as we turn our hearts to worship you with our, with our hearts, with our minds, with our mouths, as we remember your body and your blood, the body you, our God, became just like us, and you gave yourself as a gift of grace, as grace personified, you gave your body for the remission, for the removal of our sins. And your blood that was poured out, Lord. Your blood was the price that was paid to redeem us. To buy us from the authority of the spiritual powers of this world, from the authority of death from the authority of sin. Your blood was the price. So when we take these elements, we remember your body and your blood. We remember that our God is gracious. And that remembrance, Lord, it causes us to be grateful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.